Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or fumble like a crack of Brian Gumbo. Standing on the ground, flat feet, girl, coming worms and drugs, and I'm doing it on my toes. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Grimity Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. Alongside of me is the Countess of Contents, Miss Ricky McGregor, and the statistically satirical, the sarcastically stimulating, the one, the only, baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. How's everybody doing? Good. How you doing, Ricky? I think I should mention that I didn't mention in the intro that I should have mentioned in the intro is the fact that uh, Ricky owns and operates... uh, monarch claim services so she uh she has her own sort of expertise when it comes to contents and that's uh kind of what we're going to be talking about today but first of all i want to jump on over to baby cakes and see if there's any fun facts that we can be talking about there are some fun facts and they are brought to you by inc the best way to get paid after a property claim inc save time get paid so Japan has one vending machine for every 40 people in the country. That makes for shorter lines. That's for sure. You know, like when you're at uh, at a sporting event or something like that, you know, you don't have the lines that are that are so long to get. Well, never mind. It's certainly <laughs> shorter lines. That's all I'm going to say. I think that like probably a third of those are panties. You think so? <laughs> Women's underwear. Yeah. Yes, here we go. I mean, no bras, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> we may have to edit that out. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. Okay, let me, let, me, let me get myself together. Okay, there we go. Well, I'm sure a few do, but, you know, (laughs) they wear baggy clothing over there is all I'm saying. (laughs) I don't know why I can't stop that. (laughs) Um, Scotland has 421 words for snow. 420. They could come up with a 422nd one. Uh-uh. I'm thinking that's a good round number, but 421 words for snow. Do you have any examples? I know one of them is probably snow. Snow. Yeah. There we I go. have no examples other than snow. What the other 420 are. Oh, I get it now. There's 420. Get it. They never mind. <laughs> Again. Um, also, Scotland chose the unicorn as their national animal. There you go. I would make a unicorn sound at this point in time, but I don't know what they sound like, being the fact that they don't exist. I would think they sound like horses. Well, how would you what? know? Because they're horses with horns. You know what I think they do? I think they sound like donkeys. <laughs> That's what I think they sound like as donkeys. <laughs> they, I, they whinny. They sound pretty. Well, okay. Well, fair enough. I mean, we'll just have to agree to disagree on that, and there's no way, real way to prove it. But anyway, <laughs> what else we got? Um, Fruit Loops are all the same flavor. 
Despite the different colors, they're all this. I feel, I feel defrauded. Thing. I swear they're different. I swear they are. Yep, I feel defrauded. Next, they're gonna tell me Skittles are all the same flavor. There's no way that Skittles are all the same flavor. They taste different. Yeah, but with Fruit, Fruit Loops, Loops, taste different too. I don't know. I mean, could we get? I mean, I would think if they tasted different, they would make like all red ones. You mean Oops All Red? Yeah, like something like oops that. Oops All yep. Crunch Berries. What do you right. think, Ricky? I don't know. I guess I could see that they're all the same flavor. I mean, you eat them all at once. What's the difference? Yeah, that's true. You can't eat Fruit Loops one at a time. I do. <laughs> right? That's just exhausting. I eat them as a snack. <laughs> I guess in art, you can make one of those Fruit Loop necklaces or, you know, some Christmas tree ornaments with Fruit Loops. I can eat it off the neck, off the necklace like a Yeah, there you go. You can do that. <laughs> That's do you, all I got. Do you remember the candy okay. necklaces? Yeah, I remember yep. those. Yeah, those are disgusting. Now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. Knowing is half the bullshit. Well, guys, we have got an incredible show. I want to remind you that it's going to be coming to you in three rounds, but we are going to be discussing all things contents. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun, and when you hear this sound you know that the round is over. So we're going to be discussing all things content, as I said before, but Ricky and I, while we may disagree on some items here and there, mainly it is a discussion to address the things that you guys are in the trenches fighting every day because it is you that is in the rumble. It is not us. And um, so buckle up, settle in. We're going to dig into contents and everything that you can think about that we can cover in the next hour. Round one starts right after this. Public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from a to Z? Are you just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim? I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772 or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click get started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click get started. You can even shoot me an email at Jeremy at remedyclaims.com. That's J E R O M Y at remedyclaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one taking the inventory. Well, I, the first thing that I, that I learned when I was working with Ricky, to be perfectly honest with you, the very first thing that I learned was. There is a difference between an assessment and an inventory. So I want to be careful that because round two has more to do with the assessment, but there is really a big difference between an assessment and an inventory. And so as public adjusters, one of the things that you're really wanting to communicate information on initially when you walk into a claim, whether it's a water loss or a fire, um, you may even have some toxic material like a, like an asbestos claim or a lead paint claim, those kinds of things where we have to take care 
you want to take a look at the inventory and what the chances are of it being affected by whatever peril. So when you go in and you take an inventory, these are the initial things that you're doing. Now, mainly what I do, and I learned as a public adjuster who thought I could work contents, was I always noticed all the big stuff. You know, the televisions, the furniture, the beds. And I would say it's really not that much stuff. You know, we've got a desk and an office and these. And I would go through each room and just kind of name the furniture that was in the room. But it is far greater than that. So what are some things that we should be noticing, Ricky, when we're looking at the inventory? Because I think it goes without saying that we can see all of the furniture. The furniture is like that's the easy part. But what are some of the more difficult things we should be looking at when we're assessing an inventory initially? So when when you arrive on site, um, I would say that taking I'll say this first, you know, first and foremost, taking an hour, dedicating an hour to actually scoping uh, the property is going to be really beneficial. Um, like you said, when you walk in, you're it's very obvious you're going to see the big things. Um furniture and things of that nature, but you really need to take the time to go through every room, open drawers, open closets, take note of the little things. Um, when you open their closets, uh, when you look at their clothes and things like that, look at the brands that they have is even when it comes to furniture, you know, what is, um, what type of furniture do they have? Um, what is, you know, where does where did it come from or like are they antiques um do they have artwork um there's just so many different things and i'm trying to wrap my head around it and that's just one little question because i could go on and on let let me just say this let me say this when we're dealing with inventories first of all what i want you to know is it's the second largest largest coverage that's available and that according other than coverage a because generally it is between 70 and 80 percent value of coverage a and usually if you have an endorsement on the policy that's for expanded replacement cost that is also going to apply to contents as well and generally that expanded uh that that expanded replacement cost value is generally around 25 percent. so those are the things that you're wanting to look look at and so when i was in the pandemic and you know coming right out of the pandemic one of the things that we have encountered is an excessive amount of inflation right all of us have seen the inflation that sort of happened it now costs five dollars to get a coke at a restaurant when it used to cost you know 250 or 225 and now it's just so much more expensive so all of us in some kind of way have been impacted by the inflation that the country is seeing And so this endorsement really kind of goes in there. But the one thing that you really want to look at as public adjusters is kind of the capacity of the inventory. Are we talking about one room or are we talking about the Mm -hmm. entire house? You know, and that's one Mm -hmm. of the very first things that I look at. And and I want you to think kind of as you walk through it, look at the individual rooms and make the rooms kind of stand on their own. Now, when Ricky and I first worked a contents claim together, which, um, and we've worked a few now. We've got some water under the bridge, don't we, Ricky? I mean, we've we've yeah. come into some <laughs> challenging, challenging claims. 
Yeah. That uh <laughs> make you pull make you pull your hair out. Make you pull your hair out at night, you know. I, I need to make an appointment with my therapist real quick. Hang on yeah. just a second, and I can tell Dr. Finkelstein that we've got some other things to discuss other than mom. So <laughs> I, you know the point is is that when you're looking at these things, I want you to look one of the things that I have done and that I really learned from Ricky, and Ricky's being modest here, but one of the things is looking at the immensity of the inventory, and I can see the big stuff. But it's the stuff inside the drawers. I see the dresser, but I don't see the junk, the junk drawer inside that dresser or all of the different, you know, the 47 Van Halen T-shirts and, uh, and all of the different socks. And it depends on your peril whether or not it is going to be, whether or not it is going to be, you know, inventoried or whatever the case may be, depending on the peril and what the damage that they're up against is really kind of a big question. And the other thing that you might look at is sort of, you know, depending on the peril, whether or not the majority of this stuff is something that is um, that you're going to want to conduct some mitigation on. You know what I mean? Is this something yeah. that can be restored or whatever? And so what are some of the things that you're looking at maybe, and I don't want to get ahead into round two when we start talking about sort of the assessment of it, but when you're looking at this, um, you have a finite amount of coverage. So what are some of the thoughts that run through your brain, Ricky, as you're, as you're looking at this and kind of what your next step is? Um, so typically when we get a call, I, and I'll kind of just walk you through uh, the process as far as... Um, so typically when we get a call, what we like to see, what I would ask, um, you know, an adjuster, I work, you know, across the board with a few different people. So um, what we would look for, we would ask them, like, do you have photos? Um, we are going to ask you for photos. What was the loss? Where was the loss? Um, and honestly, what to, to the, like, what's the degree of loss? You know, you have total loss, um, total loss fire. You have pipe burst, you have freezing, you have um, all types of different scenarios. So uh, depending on what is all, what's all affected as far as if it affected one room, like you said, if it affected multiple rooms, where it happened in the house, um, and what was the trickle down effect of that. So we're going to ask those type of questions. Then we're going to ask that you send photos so we can see the damage in the home. For example, if it's a water loss, we want to see where the mold's at. Um, if it's in more than one space, if it's in multiple so that we can determine how many rooms we're talking about, then we're going, those photos also help us determine the amount of stuff that is in the home. Um, if we get photos that are, let's say four corner photos, typically when we're on site, you know, we would take four corner photos. So we'll ask for those. If we can only see the furniture, but we don't know what's in the drawers, that could be a problem. We really don't have an accurate idea of what's really in the home. Um, and that's also going to help an adjuster, anybody on site, that's really going to give them insight into the level of inventory that you're going to need, the level of things that you're going to need to go through. Because you have to remember an inventory is just that it is going through every single item in a property. And if you were to take the property, flip it upside down, anything that fell out um, that you would take with you, is something that would go on an inventory report. Sure. So, yeah. I Well, I just want to interject something here is mm -hmm. that, and we probably will get into this a little bit more in, in future rounds, but understand that this inventory is a 
full on bona fide duty after a loss. And so right. this inventory is absolutely, if you're going to claim it, then you're going to have to create the inventory. And I'm going to get right. into some other details about that from one of the things that the public adjuster would run into kind of in, as opposed to the content specialist. And I will get into this, but this inventory. So if you think that you're going to get out of the inventory or you're going to throw it on the homeowner, I want to put the screech and halt on that right now because the homeowner is not even though it's a duty after the loss 99 percent of the time is not going to be able to complete this inventory with any level of accuracy whatsoever so understanding that this is super important and i call this the post-it notes and paper clips of everything because we all see the big stuff it's the little stuff so ricky let me i did you finish your thought or i, I don't want to cut you off here because i definitely have a question here that i want to get into yeah, I, I believe I finished, at least as far as our process and that initial what you're going to want to look for, even before contacting or even making that decision to contact a content expert. Well, here at Remedy Claims, I mean, obviously, pictures are really handy as far as quickly communicating, but we right. use a Matterport quite often, yeah. especially if we're dealing with a large loss, baby cakes is going to show up with her enormous trunk and, and, and break that thing out. And she's going to start, she's going to start, um, her Matterport thing. And, you know, Donna does a lot of really interesting things, especially where you have a very co heavy content area, such as a kitchen. She'll go through and she'll open cabinet doors and she'll open mm -hmm. drawers and all kinds of things, not only to see what kind of cabinets are there, but kind of what's in there and what we're up against. Right. Do you prefer pictures or do you like uh, the Matterport or do you need some sort of combination of both? And what information are you looking for out of each of those different mediums, so to speak? Uh, photos are probably our last option, but they're better than nothing. I would say that a Matterport, a Matterport, I'm sorry, would be more effective. I can navigate through all levels of the house. We can get a good picture of what's in the home, get close up, really look at stuff, almost like we're there. <laughs> so right. that's the idea. yeah, that's the, right. That's the idea, which is why it's great. I, we definitely, it's more efficient. It allows us to give you more of an accurate um, estimate of what what would be needed for content specials or actually any inventory staff to come in and effectively document all the items in the home. So, I mean, and that's, and I mean, and look, a Matterport is good for a multitude right. of reasons here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the things when I go in is I basically, usually, I want to tell you this right now, it takes me about 10 minutes to determine whether or not the inventory matters to me. Um, and in, a lot of you were thinking, well, is it going to be a fire? Is it because it's a water loss or is it because no, it's because if I get to, if I count more than 25 items that are involved yeah. in this, I'm on the phone to a content specialist because it's already out of my depth. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and as a public adjuster, you're not really supposed to be a content specialist, you know, and even mm -hmm. though they try to lay that at our feet to somehow understand we're, we're coverage specialists and what we're going to do and kind of what we think is owed for underneath the policy, not necessarily what the carrier is going to do, but what's owed for. And so I am going to do that. And so I am trying to figure out the information 
that if it's something worth taking pictures of, I'm probably already going to be contacting Ricky. And one of the things that I learned is I have often counted to 25 or 24 and said, I can handle this. It's the amount of stuff that I miss, even in a small loss, that is almost staggering when it comes to thinking about pa- either packing something out or or restore or whatever whatever action needs to be taken for this kind of thing. So in the inventory, let me ask you this question. This is something we haven't discussed, so I'm going to kind of throw you a curveball here, and I hope that's okay. Um, what do you do as an inventory specialist as far as a packout companies that you have worked with? What if you run into things that are always a concern, such as like firearms and ammunition and um you know there's also like you know like maybe rare coins or cash of some sort of kind you know something along those lines when you get into those very special items but here in texas if we're working in texas you can you can damn sure count you're going to come across a firearm Mm -hmm. so how do you guys look at that is there instructions that you give the homeowners or kind of what do you do there yeah in regards to ammunition specifically we write it all off no matter what it's always replaced um as far as the firearms we require them to take them to a specialist for cleaning we don't transport firearms we don't ask mitigation companies to transport firearms i personally wouldn't let them it if i was working on site and running a content claim the way that we typically do we would ask them hey you know who would you use that you could have these cleaned at and inspect them. And then we get the invoice for it. And then we submit it to the carrier for things like that. Rare coins, um, we we document them. If they're comfortable with the mitigation company taking them, taking them, we document that the mitigation company has taken them just so we don't run into issues with theft and things like that. Um, jewelry, and, high value items. Yeah. That's what I'm I mean, what do yeah, you so so jewelry typically typically we would tell them to take them to a jeweler. We would not have the average mitigation company take high value items. To be honest, uh-huh. we more look to outsource that to specialists. Is there any sort of protocol if they said, "Look, you know, I you know I want them to take it." Is there any sort of protocol that you would recommend when it comes to these high value items and and things like that? Because I work with a client, you and I, you and I have worked with a client that has got some very high end high end stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. is always a concern. So, I mean, when we have those sort of is, do you do like a separate schedule for that high end stuff? As far as scheduling for, um, and just for clarification, are you talking about a schedule like on the list as far as keeping it separate? Yeah, or are you talking of yeah. items? Schedule yes. Of items, like what time yes. of day would show up, but a schedule of <laughs> Right. Schedule of, no, I didn't know if you meant as far as the process, like bringing someone in, like being on site with them. And, um, but uh, yeah, so we actually separate that out into its own list and we document where it's going. Um, so we know who has it and when it comes back and then we tie the invoice to that list and submit it in a separate binder from the claim. Well, I mean, it always seems like that first round goes by really quick. So <laughs> I mean, just to kind of just to kind of because remember, because what you're going to do, I mean, because what we get into in round two is really a, all about the assessment and the differences, kind of what we're going to do with the inventory kind of once we've done it. But the the thing that I want to bring up most importantly is that it is a duty after the laws. And it's not just the, you know, the the responsibility of the list, but there's also the um 
the pricing and the depreciation that comes with the responsibility. So you as a public adjuster, that is essentially, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, your job is to help the insured or to, in, in place of the insured, fulfill the duties after a loss. It is your job to create this inventory. So it's important for the for the benefit of your client that this thing is accurate and there is nothing wrong with calling in help on it. Um you know, and I'm going to get into kind of what we're going to do here in a little bit as far as the salvageable and unsalvageable in round two. But you've got to, you, and it requires you to price and depreciate these items as well. So it's not just the list, and you want to make sure that this thing is really accurate. Um, we're going to, do you have any final thoughts on round one? Something that you may, maybe didn't get out there, Ricky, or are you good to go? I think I'm good to go. If it pops up, I'll probably just. But so Circle that's all things inventory. We're going to get into uh, kind of making the assessment on the items in round two, because it starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, the assessment of salvageable versus unsalvageable. So once the inventory is done, this inventory is going to fall into one of two categories, salvageable and unsalvageable. So and then I, I want to try to work in some depreciation theory here, because when we determine something salvageable or we determine something that's unsalvageable, then we got to be thinking depreciation kind of all at the same time when we determine that it's unsalvageable. But when we start making these assessments, what are some of the key point indicators that you're looking for when you make these determinations, whether it's contaminant, whether it's whether it's worth it, that kind of thing? What are the key points that you're looking for? you're looking for let me think about that um i honestly we typically will determine that based off of what we discussed in round one when we make that connection with the public adjuster or whoever we're working with we can kind of then tell if this is just going to be a general inventory or if there's going to need to be an assessment for example you know if there's water damage um everything is going to have to be packed out um, yep. depending on, you know, where the damage is, but most of the time, everything has to be packed out at that specifically in water losses, as we both know, mm -hmm. a lot of times you're looking at assessing. So now we're looking at an item. We're not only determining if it's non-salvageable versus salvageable, but we may be looking at something and say, is this item cost effective to, to wrap up, put in a box transport and store for the duration of the mitigation process. So there's no clear cut line. You know, when you're, for example, in a fire and something's burnt up completely, you, you're like, okay, that's not usable. So we're going to write that off. But now we're going to look at an item, for example, in a house with asbestos. 
Um, does it make sense to pack up the paper towels and store them right. for seven months? Right. Um, so that's really some of the things that we look for. Um, when it comes to assessing a specific item there's i could go off for days on this topic um right. so I you'll mean, have to reel me in a little bit <laughs> well you and i actually had let me let me let me and i use this example i i use this example with a lot of adjusters because this is something that actually happened to ricky and myself um we had a water loss that we were working and one of the things that we had listed as unsalvageable was a plunger and the adjuster balked at a plunger because I can't believe you're claiming water damage on a plunger like we were being fraudulent or something like that. And I was like, well, <laughs> um, when it comes to packing up and storing something for a $2.38 plunger, I would think that it would just be better to not spend the labor to, to wrap it, to pack it, and to store it, and just to replace it. It's not cost effective. It's just easier to basically you know, write it off as unsalvageable because it's it's cheaper to go to go and buy another one than it is to do all of those sorts of things. And so, you know, while it may not be physically damaged by something, it has to be addressed because it's something that has to get out of the house. Right. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with a contaminant such as such as um such as uh, asbestos, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like even, I mean, we use plungers in cat three situations all the time. And then we just pull it out and set it next to our toilet constantly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, right. you know, <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a whole lot that can damage a plunger other than maybe a fire that melts it or burns it up or something like that. And so I use that concept and that idea sort of as a barometer on whether or not this is something we're going to pack and store. Again, I default pretty much any time I look at Ricky because sometimes it's not always as clear cut as a plunger. You're, you get those things that are very, very borderline. And so when mm -hmm. you get that thing that's borderline, sort of what do you do in that situation, Ricky? Um, hmm. So for example, I'll say this, uh, furniture, we have dressers and things like that, that have been exposed to um, moisture uh, mm -hmm. you'll see, and it could mean like a lot to someone. We've had those before where their furniture means a lot to them. Um, and because they're projects, they would like to keep it, but it does not, because of the type of material, for example, that it could be made out of, it is actually not cost effective to try and restore it. And most times it would actually cost more. So in that, in that instance, for example, we would replace it, even if it's just a little, a you know a little bit of damage at that point um so <laughs> i guess it there's so many different things that you can look at and i'm trying to think think of like in the, when i'm in in the claim i can make these split quick decisions because i can look at something and say oh there's mold here all right this is what we're going to do with this this is the particle board so we're just going to replace this and that goes there and then this goes here um but I'm really trying to figure out what we're looking for. My mind is all over the place, Jeremy. Reel me back in because I feel like I'm in the I feel like I'm in the field and I'm trying to 
Right. And you're trying to make this. So <laughs> the idea here is sometimes is basically the carrier is going to come from the from the standpoint that they want everything cleaned and restored and returned back to the house and they don't right. want to pay for anything. You know what I mean? That is right. generally what they is what they're trying to support. That is going to be their narrative. Whereas right. you as a public adjuster. I am going to tell you that there's a couple of, you know, what you're going to do is all you're doing is creating a list and an item because I believe that really this assessment, while out of a courtesy we're doing this, is really something that should be, you know, part of the carrier's investigation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, you know, what they want to do, but often I'll go into an assessment because I am going to want to control what happens to this item. Right. You know, and whether we salvage it or unsalvage it, it's still not really up to us what gets done with that. That is still absolutely 100 percent the homeowner's call where you get into sort of a um, sort of a disagreement sometimes with a homeowner is let's say that you've got um, I'm going to use smoke damage just just on in, in this example Let's say you had a fire in the laundry room and you had a smoke out that has, you know, and it's a light smoke. It was brought under containment pretty quick, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we're not talking about an excessive amount of damage. In fact, the entire inventory is going to fall under what I would call the borderline call. You know what I mean? We're looking at it and you've got some electronic equipment. Now, most public adjusters and mitigation people and all of this are going to look at something and they're going to say, well, smoke is highly corrosive. That's the one thing that I mm -hmm. know about smoke is that it's corrosive. Right. And so corrosive would tell me that that is a condition that is going to occur over an amount of time. What it looks like today is going to be very different if left untreated, very different what it would look like, um, you know, two or three months from now. And so the carrier is going to want you to try to clean that smoke damaged component, right? And mm -hmm. we're trying to make the assessment based on how bad it is. Maybe that homeowner wants it replaced because they had their eye on a new one a long time ago or you know i mean there's all of those things that come into that come into play and generally you're going to have to sometimes by working with the content specialist and because i i look at ricky all the time i go what's the carrier going to want to do here mm -hmm. you know is the carrier going to want to clean it and she always tells me that they want to clean everything but i'm like well I, the question is is really can it be cleaned to the point where this electronic piece of equipment, are they going to, and the question is, is the carrier going to own this thing if we try to clean it and determine it can't be cleaned, which is another tricky thing, you know? And, and so sometimes a homeowner is not attached to this item at all and they just want a new one, whether it's a laptop or whether it's a television or speakers or something like that, where, you know, they're not going to be mad at the newer next higher model, right? Right. And so that's what we're going to be replacing it with. And so making that assessment sometimes is a little bit diff difficult. And what you want to be able to do is set those expectations for your homeowner. Because the, the, the reality is, is most of that stuff at the end of the day has a grand possibility of being cleaned. Electronics aside, there are some items that are rather, rather sealed that smoke may not invade. Now, I know a bunch of people are going to be throwing rocks at me here, but 
if it if it's a rather sealed unit and it can be cleaned, then more than likely that's what we're going to default towards. And do you find yourself doing that quite a bit, Ricky? You know, like on on like a smoke damage claim. What 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 do you feel like the percentage of things that need to be written off versus cleaned in a smoke damage claim? Um, when it comes to smoke damage, it really depends on the degree of smoke. If you have smoke, will definitely do more damage than a fire if it's a full on smoke. Um, if you have a lighter smoke claim, depending on where it is in the property, that really determines the process. I'll be honest, that is probably one of the most extensive processes that we have. It is probably one of the most time consuming when it comes to very light damage because, um, for example, electronics, if it's if let's say you have an electronic component that's really close to, you know, where the fire started, it you know, it was greatly affected. We're going to write it off. We can't guarantee that it'll work. You can test it today and it won't work tomorrow. That's that's kind of a given. But when you have electronics that are far away that never lost power that still have power you know as far as you know when the marshal comes in and you know shuts down power and, and they have the company shut down power to certain parts of the house you have to get them tested i know it's more of a technical you know more of a what would you say technicality you as far as what it's are you forma, yeah, really yeah. Cool. yeah 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 um thank you for that because i was looking for the word um so it's something that you have to do in order to get it written off because you can test it and then you make the argument, you know, I mean, yeah, it works right now, but you can't guarantee that it's not going to work later. Um, and that's kind of some of the issues you run into when doing an assessment, you spend a lot of time, um, going that extra step because they want every item inspected. Cause like you said, the insurance company is going to say, Hey, this can be cleaned, but we're not going to clean paper clips. We're not going to clean paper. We need, but we need to account for those things. We account for pieces of paper, even though to some, it's like, why would you count paper? Why, you know, you keep that stuff that pictures, you might not be able to replace them, but you're entitled to the reprint fee. You're entitled sure. to the prescription bottles. You're entitled to the toilet paper. So though that is really where, once again, we jump back into round one a little bit. You know, if you open doors, if you open closets, if you're going in all the nooks and crannies and sometimes you might run into stuff that's really uncomfortable because it happens doing an inventory. You are invading someone's personal space and you have to really have a good knowledge of what is in your home, what your insurance have, because that is going to have to be inspected, which then ties into really how much time it's going to take to complete that assessment. And I want to, I just want to interject. One of the things that Ricky and I were talking about off the air was, was making a determination of whether or not this item really even needs to be claimed because right. we're all trying to get to a number here. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're trying, yeah. we're trying to figure out because most content, I'm going to say by and large, what I have found, if you have got a, a larger loss so to speak, if you've got a, you know, a widespread water loss, much like the one Ricky and I worked this weekend, or you've got a fire, you've got something along those lines, there are going to be some things that just aren't going to be 
um, cost effective to replace because you have a finite amount of coverage and you want that coverage to be applied to the bigger items that you're going to want to get replaced. So, I mean, and Ricky and I worked like an entire burnout on one where she completely reconstructed the inventory and we had a finite amount of coverage. And what I see a lot of times, and I want to give you a warning on this, and Ricky sees this happen a lot too, is when we start wrapping and packaging storaging, remember that money doesn't go into the insurance pocket. Mm-hmm. That money goes into the people who are moving and storing the, the, the contents. It goes into their pocket, and they will never, because you're going to have to pay that invoice. And that's the other thing I want to say on the assessment, whether you're getting, you know, things determining whether or not things can be cleaned or whether things that need to be tested some of those things from the upfront you know if you've got a good feeling about it then i mean those are you know the question kind of comes in because if you get the assessment and you call in the people to do the assessment whether it's a first team or a crdn or whoever it is you know your own third party to come in and assess it that invoice is then usually paid out of the coverage Whereas mm-hmm. if the carrier steps up and pays for some of those things, as far as an assessment goes, not clean, and an assessment is not cleaning and an assessment is not replacement. It's to look at it and determine, hey, what do we need to do with this thing? Mm-hmm. This thing can be cleaned or this thing. That assessment, sometimes I hold the carrier's feet to the fire on making that determination to be tested so that... Um, so that that comes on the, under their administrative burden and it is not taken away from the limits of liability. And that's one of the things that Ricky and I are even doing right now on a claim is we actually went through the burden of the assessment. The assessment was paid out of coverage, okay? And then now they're coming back and we turned that assessment in. And what did they do, Ricky? They said, oh, we want to have somebody else <laughs> look at it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why, if that's what you were going to do and it's not, and you're clearly not taking my assessment. So some of those things, if you're going to go through the, the, the trouble of being assessed, it's like, I would, I would get on the phone with the carrier and go, what is your intention here? Mm -hmm. So no matter what we find, are you going to accept this or are you going to want to take a different look at it? Because in, in particular, the one that I'm talking about, you know, we were dealing with, I don't know, half a million dollars worth of stereo equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and it wasn't that much stuff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We're not talking about a thousand line items. We're talking about 11 or 12 line items. That was a half a million dollars in stereo equipment. So you got you've got to consider these things and you don't want to chew up your limits in package and storing and cleaning. Um, so you want to be careful about those things. Well, um, again, that went really fast. We're going to kind of get into <laughs> the different um you know the next and the next big thing that we're going to be dealing with is pricing in round three and uh how we handle that round three starts right after this when choosing someone to help with your online marketing make sure you go with someone that has years of experience our good friend sally at thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience she can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek interactive website post on your social media platforms multiple times a week she can do a video an amazing crm to manage 
and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service to SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-V. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round three, pricing and depreciation. So there is the the super popular one that's out there, which is exact content. And then you've also got, um, there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can price it. But I know, and I'm curious to hear this, Ricky, how do you handle pricing? Because I know you specifically do not use exact contents. So how do you go about that process? So we actually use InCircle. I, I really enjoy their, their pricing program. But what I do at the beginning of a claim is I always fill out a like a customer store reference sheet with the insureds um, so that we have a good idea of where they like to shop. Um, because like I said, you, you know, you don't want to replace it from Walmart if they even bought it from Target because, you know, Target's kind of expensive too. But and you, you know, <laughs> when they bought it at Pottery Barn either. Right. But, as, um, but um, you know, some people like if they shop at Target, they don't shop at Walmart. And that's a that's a real thing. I run into that. Um, but yes, like you said, if they shop at Pottery Barn, we don't want to buy from Walmart. Uh, their clothes, like same thing. So we fill that out with them. We keep the insurers very in the loop during the process. Uh, we research the retailers that they use for furniture, electronics. If they use specialty stores, if some of our insureds have people that they directly work with as far as that they have relationships with and we'll get invoicing from them. I mean, we'll contact the manufacturer if um, we can't seem to validate pricing. Um, so that's kind of how we start off that process and then we transfer it in and we plug in that price point through in circle and then we go from there. So I, I may, I may have missed it here. So do you just do research on the internet from like target online and Amazon and all those different things and you insert the prices individually rather than working off of like a database or something like that? I mean, do you even pull in like UPC codes or anything mm -hmm. like that? Uh, so the database, the program that we use, pulls the information it allows us to search different engines so if they we can search amazon we can use google we can use walmart it has a series and then we can it will also allow us to plug in our own retailers in the search engine but the reason we use this the encircle platform 
um, is because it auto populates and generates that report. So it helps with the processing time as far as us not manually having to type in Walmart, Target and model numbers and all that type of stuff. It just automatically populates it when we use when we price through the database. Because I, I can't imagine going into Target.com and looking for <laughs> pink flip-flops with flowers on it. You know what yeah. I mean? And go, okay, these are <laughs> So <laughs> you know I will say with items like that, um, when it comes, we have a reference sheet of items that are under $100 you, or certain things like the um, tip, you know, we'll give an average, you know, uh, hardback books, soft, you know, uh, paperback sure. books, things like yeah. that. So we yeah. have that that our team works off of that can kind of kindly quick quickly go through stuff like that. Typically the carrier is not going to question you too much of, about items that's $50 and below. So we have a general price sheet that we use so people can kind of speed through that um, when it comes to things like that. Now we also will record price points. You know, some people can we will ask them, you know, do you have a price point that you you spend on your socks you per pair? Do you like Nike? Do you like and one from Walmart, things like that. So we'll also price based on price point because some things you just won't find in the database. Let's say you have restored furniture, antique furniture, things like that. That's when you would start reaching out to, if you want to use web, you know, um, web-based like Cherish and things like that, if they don't have a retailer that they work with specifically. Um, but then that's when you would start contacting the manufacturers if they have high-end equipment things like that. You have to do more research. So depending on the complexity of the claim and their items, that kind of determines how much time you're actually spending on the research part of the pricing. So when it comes to, so once you have that pricing kind of done, you've got, you've got a new task in front of you and that's depreciation. And I want to tell you as the public adjuster, this doesn't really fall into the the next the next part of depreciation doesn't really fall on the shoulders of the content specialist. While they can be very helpful and very knowledgeable about it, communicating the depreciation to your contents to your contents person, whether they're in house or whether you've outsourced it to somebody, you as the public adjuster need to understand the depreciation process, especially when it comes to contents, because it's a little bit different than your normal efforts of depreciation. So uh, first of all, you've got your categories of depreciation. You've got brand new in the box. You've got, um, you've got in like new condition. You've got used and then you have vintage. And all of these are, are, sort, of, are sort of, you know, approached differently. So let me get into the difference here. One, depreciation is generally applied in one of two different ways, either on age or condition. Okay, so age is a very objective way to look at it, whereas condition is a very subjective way to look at it. You may ask me, Jeremy, how do I know which one to use? Well, my answer to you is always both. You want to look at both of those items because you may have that person that is very meticulous and that handles all of their stuff with white gloves. And then you've got the person that has a bunch of damage in the bedroom floor and it wasn't the fire or the water that caused it. That's where it was when it when the loss occurred. So you've got those, you know, you've kind of got those two extensions of people that may exist. Either way, you're going to look at both the age and the condition and apply the appropriate depreciation there. And by and large, it's an assessment. You know, it's ne there's never going to be a clear cut, actual, accurate 100%. I know this accurately on this is what it is. Now, exact contents is going to give you an age and it's going to and it's going to do it by age or it will take a percentage 
but by and large it's usually looked at on age so if you've got electronic equipment that is going to be determined nearly 100% by age but you can get into this vintage stuff that um that is that is that is going to be a concern to you whether it's it may be a painting it may be it may be um like some of these older books like what ricky was talking about you may have some first edition books or something like that that replacing it's not really an option so those are generally you know put down at market value and there is no depreciation that's applied to these mm -hmm. things that are at market value and i had a client that had a bunch of vintage um, musical equipment and they also had a bunch of vintage or antique um, civil war memorabilia those sorts of things it's just kind of what the market is going to bear on that so when you're applying that depreciation you need to consider those things um, the other thing that you have to also look at is obsolescence and whether or not that thing is going to be determined to be obsolete and one of those things could be if they had an an eight track player that was sitting in the garage and was pretty much non-functional at the time of the loss, then that thing is going to fall under what would be called obsolescence unless they're using it as some sort of decorative piece. And then at the decorative piece, you can go and find, you know, a broken eight track player and it still works as decoration. So you're not necessarily looking for something that's functional. So you have to kind of look at those sorts of things and factor in the obsolescence of things. Um, you know, if you've got a laptop from 1997 and it says compact on the outside of it, the chances are that that thing is obsolete and wasn't in use or functional in any kind of way at the time of loss. So that's what you have to look at now you can have a vintage piece of like we have a client that had a uh an amplifier or a stereo receiver that was you know from the 70s that still ranked very very high among you know desirable components that the only thing that we can find are refurbished and restored items you know and when you find those items they're considered vintage and there's no depreciation that's taken on them but i guarantee you this um, most carriers aren't going to know that, you know, and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to tell them that it's, that it's vintage. And so when you get into depreciation, these are the considerations that you have to take. And, uh, Ricky and I were actually at a loss even on Saturday and I kind of gave her sort of, this is going to be our running start at the depreciation on this unsalvageable stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of gave her the parameters. So you're going to want to work closely with your content specialist when it comes to depreciation even though so ricky do you do you depreciate stuff for adjusters on behalf of them kind of based on what you think it should be yeah so what i will do is or what any of the staff what we do is we kind of um we get ages so we'll start with ages if that makes sense so we'll start with ages we age every item that we put in to the report in circle automatically depreciates based on standards and um, but what we also document is the condition of the item and then we will adjust it based on that. Honestly, if we see that they take really good care of their stuff, it, we're let's say they, you know, have clothes. Clothes are isn't a great example because we typically don't depreciate clothes very much because clothes change, replace clothes. The typical person does not have the same clothes, all everything for 10 years. So we do like an average. But um, and then we'll adjust I it. 
Oh, what? do you? <laughs> Some stuff I have, but I don't wear it anymore. I've got underwear that's older than my kids. I'll so. see my Facebook memories from like eight years ago, and I'm wearing the same shirt. Really? Yeah, see, I, I know I have it. It doesn't necessarily fit me the same, so, you know, but maybe when I get there, I'll take a picture with it on. Um, but um, we'll depreciate it from there, and we'll adjust depreciation. Antiques are always, like you said, we, we don't depreciate antiques at all vintage the carrier sometimes pushes back a little bit and asks us to depreciate a certain amount um, but we leave that up to the public adjuster but when we provide the report it will be a depreciated report um, specifically with what we do we give you access to the platform that we use so you can either have us do it or you can go in and manu manually kind of mess with the depreciation if it's something you want to handle yourself but it is provided well, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that you have to understand kind of what those categories are. And once mm -hmm. again, you've got new in the box, like new condition, used and vintage. It's one of those four items, mm -hmm. you know, generally, or it's obsolete. So we can add, add a fifth one there. But generally, it falls in one of those first three, new in a box, like new condition or used, yeah. you know, and the. And that's really kind of that's sort of the bat that you're swinging at each and every item. And and I generally just kind of make a general idea about how long they've lived in the house, because how long they've lived in the house will inform how old most of these items are. Now, I'm not saying that they wouldn't move and bring some things with them. You know what I mean? But those items are typically more sentimental. I know my mom, since I've been an adult, my mom and dad have moved like three or four times. And every time she moves, she sells every stick of furniture in the place. You know what I mean? She doesn't go to another house with the same furniture. I have no idea how she pulls it off, but that's what she does. She sells everything, kind of sells it off. And um, you know, how long they lived in the house will many times inform you on how old stuff is, you know, maybe not everything. There's probably some things that move like cookware and, and glasses and those sorts of things. Picture frames often kind of come with people, but again, you know, that is really kind of where that's my starting point on depreciation, you know, or at least that's my ceiling on depreciation is how long they've lived in the house. And I, that's typically where I stop it. So you can kind of do whatever you want to in that regard, because the carrier is certainly going to look at your list of depreciation and they're going to want to apply their own depreciation. And my argument for that is, is then why did you ask me to depreciate it? If you were going to apply your own depreciation, why was I asked to within my inventory to depreciate it? And they're probably going to throw some argument at you like we have the right to conduct our own investigation. And then, I, you know, and I'm just going to say based on what information and how did you arrive at this number? And so that's the other thing. When they challenge you on some of the depreciated items that you're presenting them, challenge them back when they when they depreciate stuff too much. I want to give you an example on something there are ricky and i worked a loss that i had previously mentioned that had a lot of high-end stereo equipment when i say high-end stereo equipment there was a pair of speakers that new were a hundred and twenty thousand dollars the replacements were a hundred and twenty thousand dollars and these were custom speakers and because they were custom, but but the carrier ended up depreciating these things all the way down. I think it was between twenty and twenty six thousand bucks. Do you remember this, Ricky? Yeah. They, they, 
depreciated and that was that and i argued that depreciation but before i could win the argument the client had already purchased the replacement speakers so at that point it was kind of moot but remember that that was an inappropriate amount of depreciation on a lot of the stuff they basically hit him with max depreciation which is generally right around 80 percent so when they're hitting it with max depreciation you know you want i mean alarm bells need to be going off and those are those are things that you need to consider because kind of what the tactic was is is we're going to make sure he doesn't replace these by over depreciating it and him not having the capital to actually go out and purchase the replacement Mm -hmm. so be aware of those things you know and help your client when it comes to getting those items replaced any final thoughts ricky i don't think so i think we i think we covered it for now i'm sure i'll think of something later though well, I mean, this certainly, well, hang on a second. Okay, there's the bell. I mean, you know, we certainly have not covered everything contents. This is a good running start at it. Um, guys, I want you to know that Ricky McGregor services are available nationwide. I mean, I know that you've probably heard the, if you're, if you listen to the rumble quite a bit, I want you to know that, uh, that, um, you've heard her ad on there that, that, you know, I voiced an ad and she, and we work closely on, obviously you can tell now tons of claims together, but um, you can reach out to her at monarchclaimservices.com. Is that correct, Ricky? Yeah. Yeah. All my information is there or, you know, get my information from you. My email's pretty long, so I won't repeat it. But <laughs> So you can, I, I would reach out to her on monarchclaimservices.com where you can find all of her contact information there. And she is willing and ready to make, basically show up anywhere in the country and help you manage that inventory. So guys, my encouragement to you is don't do it alone. You've got enough stuff that you need your focus on and contents is a very big portion of it. And I can tell you, Ricky will work with you um, one of the last things that I want to tell you is that one of the, th- you know, you might want to try to figure out kind of what you think it might cost and submit that cost at, for a professional inventory service to the carrier. Some of them will cover it. Some of them will not. But what you don't want to do is have a whole bunch of work done thinking that the carrier is going to cover it and then they don't. So you want to kind of make sure that you're checking with the carrier and see if that's going to be part of the covered loss and whether it falls under an administrative fee or it's going to come out of coverage. So um, I've got one quick shout out to Mr. Kevin Turner. I believe is what his name. Yeah, I think it is it Kevin Turner. Is he the guy that has that posted on oh, the yeah. plan of the claim site that he had listened to over something like 2000 hours or something like that yeah, of, of, of the room. And I, and I kind of messaged him on there. So um, that I think you've listened to all the hours. And he replied back to me that he had listened to all the hours probably twice, <laughs> but we appreciate you, Mr. Kevin Turner. And I He's am in get- the top 3% of listeners. Yeah. And so I'm going to, you know, we've got a t-shirt on the way for you just as soon as I get those t-shirts made. And you are the thing that got us off the launch pad on that. And I got your the other day um, that you messaged me. So understand that we are working on that. 
And a big thanks to you. And a thanks to all of you guys that are listening to us. Um, we do this for you. If you enjoyed it, please click like and subscribe. And if you know somebody that needs to hear this information that's in the throes of a big, nasty inventory, make sure you click the share button and pass that on to them. But we will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. I'm a hammer, ready to ram you like the fire, slam a jammer, yes, we're coming up, don't even try to diminish it, I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.